Hello and welcome to Life of the School, episode 132. Hello, my name is Aaron Matthew. I'm a biology teacher from Massachusetts. Each episode of Life School, I like to sit down with a panel of life science teachers and talk about issues that we're seeing in our classroom. Um, today, um, as we find ourselves deep into holiday seasons, uh, we're going to reflect back um, on the, the past few years and ask ourselves whether or not grades have really had the same emphasis in our classrooms this year as they have in the past. Uh, joining us uh, for this episode are, are, are two ladies who are going to help us out. We're going to kick off with a goofy question. Um, and as we kicking off December here, I wanted to know what movie, TV show, or music sort of signifies the holiday season. And joining us from Illinois is Amy Kelly. Welcome, Amy. Hello. Uh, so I think that the, the song that really kicks off the holiday season for me is when Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas is You pops on radio because no matter what station you listen to at some point that song's gonna pop on and it always it always reminds me of uh the season and gets me in in the spirit <laughs> of uh the holidays yeah, it, it, uh, I, I think somebody this year told me that they heard it um, either the first day of November. They, they heard that they, they heard the episode, they heard the song uh, come across the radio. That was the first day uh, they heard it. So uh, it, it is it's, it is the sign that is uh, holiday season. All right. And joining us from Colorado is Hannah Hathaway. Welcome, Hannah. Hi, thank you for having me. Um, for me, holiday season definitely means it is time to watch The Muppet Christmas Carol, <laughs> uh, which also includes music as well. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's just been a favorite ever since I was a little kid. Um, only watch it around Christmas. It's just the best. It's the best movie ever. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's funny because, you know, for me, I, I was thinking back to mine and um, and uh, yours gives me a second thought as well. But I, I to me, it's the the John Denver uh, Muppets Christmas album is the one for me. And maybe that's, uh, dating myself as being, you know, a little older. Um, <laughs> but that like John Denver Muppets Christmas album is, is one for my youth and, um, definitely Muppet Christmas Carol. And I don't know if you, um, if you're familiar with the, um, uh, uh, Brent Goldstein, um, uh, he's a he, comedian. He's a British comedian. He's on the, um, uh, Ted Lasso TV show. He plays uh, Roy Kent on on the, the that show. Mm. Um, it's on Apple Plus. So if you don't have Apple Plus, uh, nobody's seen it. But he's this like very he plays this very gruff old British character. But he has the funniest YouTube thing where he actually acts out the Muppet Christmas Carol. Um, <laughs> not oh not the God. Christmas Carol, but the Muppet <laughs> Christmas Carol. And it was going around. And it's it's such a disjointed view of like. So when I saw that, I actually that was the that, the first thought I had is oh yeah that Brent Goldstein thing, which is uh, it's a very very weird thing if you've ever watched the show, but it's if you like the, that, it may be worth uh, diving into YouTube. And oh yeah, I have watched the show. That sounds wonderful. I definitely know yeah. what I will be doing <laughs> next weekend. <laughs> yeah, I'll have, to, I'll have to see if I can dig out that clip. It was it was funny. Something it popped around. I want to say it was like the end of the summer. It started going around, and it's literally him from him doing a stand up routine or whatever. He does this like six minute reenactment of the Muppet Kisser Scout. So funny. <laughs> Amazing. I hadn't thought of it until you put that into the show notes. So I was like, oh, yeah, that's that's what that now that's what that makes me think of uh, is Roy Kent doing that. <laughs> 
All right. Well, uh, yeah, we're, as we're in the middle of the year, you know, I, I've been thinking and, and, you know, we've all been through sort of our first round of, of grades and putting them in. Um, I know one of the things I had thought about quite a bit as we were coming into the school year was uh, was grades and grading and grading policies. And I know that I've been on a, my own personal journey Um over the last few years playing around with, you know, ungrading philosophies or going gradeless and that sort of stuff. So I've been sort of in my own parallel journey, but I've also noticed that broad school policies about gradings definitely changed over the the pandemic where all of a sudden, you know, when we, the pandemic hit, like everybody's like, just get the kids to show up and grades don't count anymore. And like all of these things that seem to be sacred cows when it turned to grading all of a sudden disappeared. And, you know, as we start to get back into uh, what are sort of normal or more traditional school years, I was curious, like, what are other people seeing in terms of those policies? So I guess let's set the baseline and, and let's start with the, like, did your schools or your state do anything different in terms of grades, um, you know, grade expectations or course exams or any of that stuff during last year, that 2020-2021 school year, where a lot of us were either in a hybrid or a fully remote or some combination schedule. So, Hannah, uh, what about you? How about your district out in Colorado? Do you, do you have any uh, things that your school did very differently last year? Yeah, we definitely switched things up a little bit last year. Um, so I'm at a charter school and we have seven high schools now in Denver, I think it is. Um, and we've had a pretty historically like rigid grading structure, I would say. Um, and then last year they added a little bit more flexibility, which was really um, welcomed. So that included like letting students use notes on final exams. Um, which made sense because they were mostly from home for most of the year. Um, the biggest thing was they really allowed us to pick some crucial standards and make finals shorter um, and really allowed teachers to focus more on like depth instead of breadth, which was so nice. Um, and then they also added some nice policies like uh, no more zeros. So they mm -hmm. changed our, our grade book software so that if you put in a missing, it calculates like a 50%. Um, I know at least my school, they encouraged accepting late work, things like that. Um, so I think those are things that other schools probably have been, might have been doing for a while, but it took, took us a little bit, uh, to get there. <laughs> yeah. I, I would be curious to see how, I mean, we'd have to survey, but, um, I, I think that a lot of the policies you said, you said, I, I don't think are as universal or were as universal before the pandemic, um, as probably they should have been. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, Amy, how about you? Uh, what kind of things went into policy for your school and your students last year? Yeah. So this year or last year, we actually opted, we opted not to do um, final exams at all last year. So our final exam days were almost like credit recovery days. So we had uh, given kids opportunities to make up work that was missing or maybe work that they uh, didn't pass. Uh, they got D's or, or F's on, and we gave them opportunities to correct some of that work or complete a re retake. So I do feel that uh, retakes and acceptance of late work was something that was, I would say, almost district-wide mm -hmm. encouraged, where prior to last year, we didn't really have like everybody on board with that. 
Another thing too, our state test, the Illinois Science Assessment, we were given the opportunity to either have our kids test in the spring or they could um, push it off until the fall. And mm. so my district opted to do the state assessment this fall instead of doing it last spring. So that was another thing that um, was different than in years past where we would have a concrete day that we would be doing that assessment. Huh. That's, that's interesting. Well, it's, it's funny that you, that you bring that up because I, I was actually, when I was reflecting back, I was thinking that the, the, the policy that I was most frustrated with at, in, in Massachusetts was how the state of Massachusetts dealt with our state assessment. In fact, I felt like the, the thing that ended up happening last year was that the, like the reason we went back to like full instruction was so they could give the state exam last year. Like we went from hybrid and they pushed disc districts that were fully remote back to being fully in person last spring so that they could give their state exams. Like it felt like the state exams were driving a return to being fully in person again. Um, so in Massachusetts, um, our, our school actually, uh, interestingly enough, had eliminated our mid-year and final week the year before. Um, so in going into 2019, 2020, they had eliminated our mid-year and final week. We had been, it, it's actually been a contentious sort of like thing that had been going on the last few years. Some departments wanted to give mid-years and finals and some didn't and some wanted to schedule and some didn't. And we've actually had like, you know, over the last 10, 12 years, we've had a whole bunch of different policies around that. But they had actually decided, our administration to decide to eliminate them and change sort of rules about the size of any one assessment could be during the year. And so that's pre-pandemic that we did that. And it was a contentious at the time. And they're like, we'll revisit this. Um, and now that we had a pandemic, it was like, thank goodness we don't have those those rules in there. So it comes across as being prescient that we didn't have that. Uh, but uh, we had no state exams in the end of 2020, obviously with the fully remote and the weird schedule, we had that. But last year we returned to the, the, the state exams and, um, you know, I don't expect any sort of difference, but they didn't give us any flexibility. It was... It was it was exams in in 2021 were were very similar to that of like 2019. Um, so the state of Massachusetts really pushed to sort of quote unquote return to normal from that standard. Um, now were the exams different? Were they the same? I have no recollection of anything that happened last spring in school. So um, <laughs> I don't know if that's the case, but uh, <laughs> that's uh, I had a student, a senior who came back to visit me recently and she was like, oh, when did we do this? You know, my kids were doing something. And I was like, when did we do this last year? And I was like, I have no idea. Um, <laughs> it's all, all a blur. All right. Well, so now let's let's think about it this way. Like, did did any of the policies from last year, so you talk about the, um, I noticed this, this the concept of like, uh, you know, lack, lack of, um, of late work or re retakes and those type of policies. So now we're back into, you know, we're back into what sort of a normal-ish year, more normal year, less weird year. I don't know the right way to phrase it. Um, but I'm curious, did any of those policies from last year or during the pandemic carry over or did people go like, nope, it's just like September 2019, late work needs to be late work and, and those type of things. So, so Amy, what, what kind of things, uh, what are you seeing? Are you seeing a return to 2019 or some of the, the, the remaining policies? I think at the beginning of the year, many of us felt we could just return to normal, <laughs> but the the truth of the matter was that uh, the kids weren't there yet. Mm -hmm. 
And um, even very, very recently, like last week, we all were very surprised by an email that they decided to cancel final exams. <laughs> and we had been planning to give final exams. In fact, most of our PLC time over the past couple months was devoted to making a final that might work for the kids this year. Um, we still don't know 100% what we're going to do on final exam days, whether we could give a test worth less percentage of their grade or, or what we don't honestly know. Um, but I think a lot of that came from the idea that we, we realized the kids just weren't ready. They're, they're having a harder time in my district with the things that wouldn't have given them that much trouble in the past. Like for example, a quiz, I had such a large number of kids who are not used to the idea that they can't use notes on quizzes. And so they are raising their hand. Hey, did I do this problem right, Mrs. Kelly? Did I do this right? Did I set it up right? Is this the right answer? Mm. And I, I say, you know, this is a quiz. You're, you're supposed to kind of show me that you know the, the work. Well, can I look it up? No, you've got to just do your best on it. Some of them will stare at their paper for the longest time, just hoping it'll come back to them. And I always tell them, you know, move on, try something else, come back to it. But it seems like they don't have some of the strategies that they would have had in years past. So even something like a half hour quiz might take an hour or an hour and a half. Mm. And we have kids who are still not finishing within that time period. So uh, I think that we've had to be very, very flexible. And that's something that kind of carried over from last year for sure. We have to, you know, understand that the kids are, are our first priority. So we have to make sure that we are making them the first priority, even when it's not necessarily in the the easiest uh, for teachers, you know. Mm. Well, yeah, that's a lot of that resonates with me and <laughs> what I'm seeing, too. Yeah. Uh, Hannah, how about you? Uh, what are what are you saying this year? Yeah, I I a lot of that resonates with me too, Amy. Um, and it's interesting because our school has like a very test heavy culture historically. Um, I, the first two weeks of school, they took a, you know, school-wide practice SAT and PSAT, um, which we do three times a year. And that was kind of a wake up call because hmm. it was obvious that students hadn't had sort of a formal, even though this was just a practice, SAT, like they hadn't done that in such a long time. Um, it didn't really have, um, yeah, some of like the coping skills of working through an assessment like that in a long time. Um, so it's definitely been something we've been working on this year. That being said, we've already had our final exams. We're on trimesters. So that's uh, been there, done that. Um, it's looked very much like <laughs> it had in previous years back to long exams, everything is closed note. Um, I am grateful that the leadership we have in science is like very progressive, I would say, for our network and is really pushing for um, assessments that are less just memorization and regurgitation of facts and more authentic sort of scientific-based investigations. Um, so our final exams actually are looking very similar to how they were in previous or last year when we made them a little bit more focused on like analysis of data as opposed to just give me all the steps of the light dependent reaction. <laughs> um, 
Um, <laughs> but I think in other departments, uh, they've kind of just gone back to the status quo. So I think from the student perspective, they have seen, um, I, I would think that they feel like, oh, wow, this is back to normal, just a lot of very stressful um, exams, which is, which is disappointing, I think. Um, but I do feel like a lot, a lot of teachers have started to realize and question some grading practices that we all just grew up with and were used to and did because of inertia. And um, things like, like this year, the um, no zeros has stuck around. And I think that's a really good call. Um, and we're just kind of, and retakes is another big thing we've been pushing a lot this year. And I think that's another um, good benefit of changes from last year. Yeah, I it, it's, you know, it, I'm, I'm exactly in the ex same place you two are. It, the the school-wide, we return to our 2019-2020, like, calendar and testing policies and, um, and exactly what you're talking about. But, um, like, two weeks ago, um, I, I gave my second test uh, to my honors bio students. Maybe it was three weeks ago. It was the end of quarter one. I gave my second big test. And, you know, when I, when I met with students, I found that they did like the, they don't, they don't know how to study. It's almost as if I have, you know, rather than ninth and 10th graders, I have seventh and eighth graders taking honors biology um, from an academic skills. And I don't mean that from like, from all aspects, but they, they just have never had to struggle through challenge questions or application questions. And even though they, they always are struggling a little bit, there is definitely a, um, a broader diversity of skills that are in the group and a smaller average like study skills toolbox uh, to that group um, that over the last two years that they just haven't seen the the same types of challenge problems, the same types of application. Um, it, it, as I said, in a lot of ways, it feels like because we backed off on a lot of things, they just didn't develop those things. And so um, I actually put together a, like giant document um, to help them out because the, there were two things that I was seeing. One is when kids would come to office hours or extra help and they would ask me uh, about studying, I kept saying a lot of the same things, uh, but it was much more frequent. I had more students who were struggling with these concepts um, you know, at a much higher rate. It, it was, it's just like, it's just all of these concepts that were coming up um, and more students struggling with them. But then the other thing is I, I, I asked students to reflect on their work. And a lot of the comments I was getting from students is like, well, I'm just going to study harder. And I would say to them, like, well, what does that mean? Like, what does that look like in an action item to study harder? Does that just mean you're going to spend more time on something? Um, and, and so I, I realized that they just didn't know. They didn't have a well. Whereas in the past, if I had a, a ninth or 10th grader, like I could, I would ask them a bunch of questions um, and I would get to a point of, oh, well, maybe I need to make flashcards <laughs> or, oh, I'm struggling on application questions. How do I practice an application question? Or I'm struggling on experimental design questions. How do I study that? Like they, they were even having a hard time identifying patterns in the stuff they were struggling in and that created, um, you know, almost a feeling of despair. Like I would say, like I was they, the, the feedback I was getting from the students was very sad. Um, they, they felt, they felt more overwhelmed than in the past. So, uh, again, this is more my own personal reflection about that. And I don't know if you, you're seeing similar things and the way Amy was describing students struggling that 
I think you're you're visit you're describing sort of what I'm getting in conversations that students are sort of overwhelmed by being asked to do things that typically students would yes struggle with, but productively struggle. They're not even productively struggling. There, there's almost an overwhelmed component to that. Is that? Yeah, I would I would agree a hundred percent. I know, like, I had to have this conversation with quite a few kids. Like, it's all right for something to be a challenge. It's it's not supposed to be easy the first time you you do something. You know, they, they're supposed to be a challenge, and they don't want any challenge. They just want the answer there in front of them. Either I tell them the answer, Google tells them the answer, or they see their answer highlighted on a sheet of paper. Like they don't want to like think through things. And it's, I shouldn't say that's every kid, but it's definitely a larger than normal population. And that can be frustrating to see because sometimes they shut down a lot and they're like, science is too hard for me. And it's like, no, this is just... You're gonna you're gonna experience a challenge, and you're gonna grow so much from experiencing this challenge that you're gonna become so so much more aware of this concept because of of mistakes you made or because you took the extra effort to figure something out, and that's a good thing. But they don't see it that way. They just see it as it's hard. It's too hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm seeing a lot of students really. I, I agree and like really um, like kind of shut down when they run into a challenging problem a lot more than I've seen in previous years. I, I mean, that's a, something I've always bumped into, but it does seem more frequent this year. Um, and I definitely agree with the having to, I've always have kind of explicitly taught study skills, but um, it feels like even more crucial this year. And when I talk to students about, okay, well, what are you doing to studying? Um, a lot of them are just saying, well, I don't study because, um, I'm too busy. Mm-hmm. I just, I have no time to study at all. Um, which is very interesting. That's, I feel like maybe it's because of just the age of students I'm teaching since they're juniors. I think a lot of them got jobs last year and still have those jobs and are still working a lot of hours, mm-hmm. um, because they kind of felt what it's like to have a little bit of that freedom and some extra cash, and now they don't want to let that go. So I have quite a few students who are working like 30 hours a week or something. And I'm like, guys, that's, that's a lot. Um, so that's been a whole nother, a whole nother challenge. Um, and then when asking those who do study what they do, it's a lot of like, well, I reread my notes. Um, so having to help them see like, well, that's not the most efficient way to study. And how can we make that more active? How can we incorporate some retrieval practice and all those types of things? It's getting better, but definitely at the start of the year, it was, yeah. Yeah. And, and what I have found is that like, for me, the gap between sort of where the students are now and where they might've been a few years ago is like these things I'm talking about, like, you know, improving study skills, improving retrieval uh, practice. I would find that what would happen is, you know, we'd have a quiz or we'd have a, like a, a nothing type check-in, you know, I would do, I, I basically make quizzes. I'll do pop quizzes and they're like five point pop quizzes and they're worth like, like half a percent on their quarter average. Like they, they, they wash out to like worth, worth nothing, um, in that grouping with, I basically average them in with their homework. So they get, they get washed out to being nothing, but they're a good check-in. Cause if you get two out of five, that means you didn't, 
learn from the activity or learn that stuff. And then I would go over an example of like, okay, well, if you struggled on this, here's how you could improve on like picking these skills up in the homework. And I would say that. And I felt like I would have that conversation and I would, it was as if I could have been speaking to an empty room because the students who got the questions wrong were so overwhelmed by the fact that they got the question wrong. They weren't able to process in the, like in the broad conversation to everyone. They didn't realize I was talking to them. Like, they, they would just say that he's just talking about stuff and it doesn't necessarily apply to me. And I had students who came for extra help. And I was like, do you remember when I went over that? And they were like, no. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> so that whole thing I went over on the board and I went over the example and here's the people who got the wrong. And I went over, and I, like, I went over that and I asked the kids and they're being honest. They're like, no, I don't, I don't remember you doing that. And I was like, okay, I don't think I'm going crazy. I, <laughs> I spent five minutes going over this whole study scale, but they didn't have it. And so like, I, I basically turned it into a document. Like here is a written document that this is the way you do it because it wasn't the, the gap between where I thought they were in terms of their study skills and where they actually are was so much further apart that in the past, if I'd say those things, the kids had had built up some of the academic skills to realize when they didn't know things enough to know, oh, he's talking to me. Um, as I said, that's where I kind of feel like I've got seventh graders in there um, because I would think that a, a, a less a less self-aware student wouldn't realize that. And that's those are the conversations I've been having with students. So um so yeah, it's I, I and I actually said that to one of my colleagues who was very frustrated. We were we were doing a project and um, we we do a project where the kids have to basically design a, an investigation and they always struggle. It's like the reason we do it is because they don't know how to run a lab. And he's like, "Am I crazy or is this like going so? Is this so much harder to roll out this year than when we did this in the past?" And I was like, "Oh no, just think of it like you're teaching this to seventh graders." And he's like, "Why?" And I was like because they haven't had the last two academic years. They didn't do all the things they normally do. So just do that. And he's like, he's pausing. He looked at me. He's like, that actually makes a lot of sense. <laughs> it was like, I was like, oh yeah, I got there three weeks ago. That's how I've been starting to think of my students is like, they're very capable. They have an enormous growth potential. They probably could grow more this year than they've ever grown before. Like this group of ninth and 10th graders could, we could take them further academically than any group we've ever in the past. But that's because they're they just don't have, as I said, the, the toolbox that they usually have at this point. So uh, there's enormous potential in this group. Um, but if you if you view it through the lens of they're like students in the past, you might find yourself getting um, uh, exasperated. <laughs> um, and that's I was finding myself feeling that way last month. And I and I love these kids. I, I love I usually get quite joy, a lot of joy out of them. Um, but I, I was finding myself uh, kind of exasperated <laughs> in that policy. All right. Well, let's let's look at the uh, let's now look at sort of internally. And um, I think we've all sort of said a little bit of that is we've been very generic in our terminology about things. But I want to know what what you have done individually, like um, what what have you done in terms of changing your own grading policies or grading expectations over the past years? How did the pandemic like reshape reshape you? Um, and so, Amy, how about you? What where have you gone in terms of as a result of the pandemic? How has grading or or other policies really been changed for you? Well, I think that prior to the pandemic, I was becoming more flexible, but I was previously all of always a very structured teacher. I had like deadlines, and I like to get things done I, on a schedule. Mm-hmm. And um, I think with the pandemic 
taught me was just throw schedules out the window because you can have a plan in your head, but you have to let the students take the content and run with it. And you have to be willing as a teacher to let go a little bit to let them run with some of their ideas. And that was really important during the pandemic, but it's something that's really starting to shape me as a professional now. I feel like it's not just about accepting work late, but also giving the kids a little more ownership in our discussions and when they have a comment about an assignment or why they missed something or, you know, something along those lines to really listen to what they're saying because they have, you know, such an active role as learners in the class. And sometimes as a teacher, we try and take over and, and really take the lead with everything, but their opinions are so vital. It's not just good evidence to what they're learning, but it's also really, really beneficial for me as a teacher. It helps me learn how could I approach this topic different. Mm. And it's, it's really funny too, because sometimes the kids are making connections to topics and I was planning on moving forward to talk about some of the things that they're talking about. But when I give them some ownership and I say, they said this, and I think this would be a really great thing to explore, then they become very proud at that moment. Hmm. And so I've, I think that since the pandemic, I've really tried to give students more ownership and not just be more flexible in grading, which I certainly have been, but also to really try and give the students a lot more ownership in what I'm teaching and what they're learning. Well, I think we're going to have to dive into deeper that on uh, uh, on the next episode uh, that we record, <laughs> future episode. I, I want to hear about that ownership piece because I think it very much aligns with some of the things I'm doing. Um, so you're you're saying like, you know, a couple of years ago, uh, you would have late penalties for things coming off. So you're not taking points off for, for things that come in a day late or two days later, that sort of thing. Um, and are you also letting students re revise and rework? Like if somebody gives you something, are you giving feedback and allowing resubmissions on things as well or, or on some things? Yeah, I, I do. I give, I let them retake, um, assessments. I do a different version. Um, sometimes I will ask the kids like, how could, how could you show what you know mm. on this topic? Because when I gave you this exercise, you were having some trouble with it. So is there another format or another way that you could approach this to show me what you know? And so sometimes they might want to do, a lot of my kids struggle with modeling. Mm. So they'll say, well, can I explain it in words? Or can I draw on the whiteboard and explain what I'm thinking? And they don't realize that through their words and through what they're drawing on the whiteboard, that they're essentially modeling and explaining exactly what <laughs> I wanted them to, but it's a slightly different format and it's working for them. So I just feel like I'm so much more flexible as an educator and accepting of their their work in whatever form it comes. You know, it doesn't have to be that exact exercise that I gave them. They might have a different way of showing me and that's okay too. Yeah. Yeah, that 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 concept as you said is like you you mentioned one thing that sort of always nags at my my own personal uh, process and practice of that alternative ways of assessing understanding and it's it's one of those things that I really really struggle with um, within the structure of my school but um, yeah a lot of the a lot of those things resonate uh, 
with things I've changed as well. Uh, Hannah, how about you? What, what has changed for you in your own grade policies in the last couple of years? Yeah, I think, um, so even before the pandemic, I had started to make um, some shifts in grading policy. Um, I read Grading for Equity mm. a couple summers ago, and that really made a big impact on me. And um, that year, I think that was 1920. <laughs> Yeah, sure. It could have been a million years I, ago. I, I, think that was the, I think that was the year it came out. <laughs> yeah, I felt like I read it pretty um, quickly after it came out. But that was the year I started to implement um, like retakes and um, you know, late penalties and things like that. And I got such positive feedback from students that year. And it just completely cemented in my mind that that was like the right choice. Mm-hmm. Um, the hardest thing was just logistically figuring out how to do all these things, like having alternative versions of quizzes and tests and how to manage it, um, just from a logistical standpoint. And I think that's the biggest thing that I took away from that year of crazy hybrid (laughs) teaching, um, was just gathering different tools in my tool belt about how to manage these different types of things. And I think that's made me um, able to do things like retakes more efficiently, um, which is helpful for students because then they can actually do the retake, get faster feedback, um, and internalize that a little bit more quickly. So I think that has been the most beneficial uh, change in terms of grading policy. Um, there's been other like grading adjacent <laughs> related changes. I feel like I spent, yes, exactly. (laughs) I spent a lot of time um, during the pandemic really thinking of like the purpose of school and the purpose of education and the purpose of grades and very much feeling at times that, in my opinion, grades are a fast way for us to give feedback to students. Like grades are a structure that's meant to benefit teachers because we have so many students and Um, that's just the logistics of our job, but at the end of the day is giving a student a piece of paper with a 78.5 on it really beneficial. And exactly, I think where I eventually want to go is some sort of ungrading model. Um, but it just seems so challenging at the way my school is currently set up. And so, so progressive from what we have currently that I'm a little anxious to be like, the odd man out. Mm -hmm. Um, but maybe someday, maybe, maybe in a small piece next year, who knows? (laughs) I said that last year. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, the, the ungrading, uh, you know, and I, I had mentioned before we started Mm -hmm. recording Paul Strode, um, out in your way, Colorado. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, and, and his wife, Sarah, uh, um, and, and the, the ungrading journey I've been on. Um, so I, I would say that for me, the pandemic helped codify sort of my, uh, you know, my own journey in terms of the importance of, you know, allowing for resubmissions, for revisions, for no points off for late work, very much, um, like Amy had said, um, and in plunge deep into ungrading in the space where I felt safe to do it. Um, and so like all of my classes, I allow for resubmissions. Um, I allow for revisions where I feel it's culturally okay with the teams that I teach in. Um, I guess that sort of couch it a little bit. So my AP classes is a very ungraded 
philosophy. Um, students write grade claims at the end. Um, their grades are not based off of their tests. They get to, you know, basically I give four grades to all my AP grades are, are one of four grades. It's something either is either complete, it's partial, it's rework, or it's missing. And anything that's less than complete can be revised and resubmitted. Um, and we don't do a ton of assignments, but we do some deep and meaningful assignments. Um, and then at the end of the quarter, the students will make a claim based off of what they think they've earned based off of the quarter, based off of the sum of all the work they've done. It's a, it's a as I said, it's, it's a wholly ripped off from Paul Strode philosophy. But I don't feel comfortable doing that in my honors class where I'm one of five teachers who teaches that. And and so like the idea of like retaking exams in that course would be like that's not the way that courses run. Um, so I allow for I, I don't take any points off for late work and I, I accept I'm very flexible on those and I allow for resubmissions of a lot of things, but I don't allow retests. Um, and like, it's one of those, it's like, I, I struggle in this. I'm in this sort of in-between space of revisions and, and reworking of things. And I would say that, um, you know, you mentioned it, like, to, it's one thing to say, I philosophically feel very progressive. Um, I've been creeping, creeping more progressive sort of in my approach into that ungrading philosophy, but it's, it's not easy. It's not easy when you want to be a, you want to be a good colleague, um, and you want to help other people along the journey, you can't just like say, well, I'm leaving everybody else behind and I'm going to go do my own thing. I kind of want to help like both grow myself and feel comfortable in the philosophies of what I'm doing and also bring other people along in the journey. So um, I, I feel a tension um, <laughs> in the two classes I teach because I, I, from a grading standpoint, my grades look totally different in the two different major courses I teach. Um which is weird. It, it, it feels weird. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And, but I, it's funny cause I, 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 having had both of you on the show, like as we were talking through this and as reading these notes, I'm like, of course the three of us all were on a journey before the pandemic. And then the pandemic, <laughs> the pandemic just shaped us. Listen, like I, having had conversations with each of you about grading, you know, over the last couple of years, like, of course, yeah, we were all sort of struggling with it. And the, I think the pandemic sort of laid bare, um, sort of the, 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 the fallacies of some of the structures that existed. And I, I guess I, I, my broader question is, do you, when you look around your own building, do you see other teachers kind of like more open to progressive grading, you know, philosophies or, or not doing late work or like, are you seeing others who are, are now sort of on that journey who might not have been before the pandemic? I don't know if somebody wants to tackle that first. <laughs> I mean, I think, I think in my district, there's definitely teachers who were not tackling it at, at all prior to the pandemic who have at least now have, they have some experience with, with the late work, accepting it without penalty. And, and, and perhaps some of them are now on board with that idea. But I still think that a lot of my colleagues are under the impression that having deadlines is going to help students prepare for college. Hmm. And so that's an argument that I hear a lot is that there's the deadlines in college. And if we don't give deadlines, then we're not really preparing them for their future. And even when you hear that some colleges have progressed to the point 
that they are not grading the way that they've always graded and they're more progressive. Um, that still isn't really satisfying for some of my colleagues. So I feel like although there has been a shift in more people accepting late work and revisions, I don't know that everyone's really on board with it yet. Mm. Yeah, I agree. I feel like same thing. Um, I, I have seen in our building this year, um, we've had a big push towards revamping greeting policies and, um, there's been a lot of interesting discussion happening there about sort of what the purpose of grades is. Mm. And I think we're seeing that it's different for different educators. And that's something that we're having to figure out as a team. Um, there's definitely a subset of teachers who feel strongly that um, we have a section in our grade book called work habits. It's um, depending on the grade mm. level. Um, could be up to I think for freshmen it might be 35 percent of their grade I can't remember wow um for juniors it's 25 percent. so essentially homework <laughs> and classwork and also like it's work habits so it's explicitly a behavioral category mm. um which I have issues with <laughs> but I think other teachers see that and they say well it's explicitly a behavioral category so like we are supposed to teach them behaviors and they should be receiving a grade based on that that's built into our school and I mean, they're not wrong. That is, they're right. It is built into our school. I think we are starting to realize, should it be that? Um, So there's a lot of like behavior grading, I think, happening um, in some classrooms. Um, And then none at all. Like my, my work habit grades are all like, did you do the homework? (laughs) Great. (laughs) Then you, that's, that's the bare minimum. Like that's the minimum expectation if you're in an AP course. Um, But there, and a lot of the, um, like argument for that is, well, they need to learn these skills for college and, mm. you know, what's, we should be taking off points for early work because the dead, there are deadlines in the real world and things like that, mm-hmm. um, which I don't, I mean, I don't necessarily agree <laughs> with some of those points, but um, I think it's a journey that everyone's on different places yeah. um, within that journey. So it's been interesting to see. I do think the pandemic has shifted a lot of thinking. Yeah. Uh, and that's I would I would agree with that. I think that the pandemic has shifted thinking to the point where there are colleagues who now when I go in and say, yeah, I'm, I'm not taking off early work. I'm, I'm accepting things like that. Like the fact that I can I feel comfortable, even if they're not going to they're not agreeing with me. Like, I don't feel as crazy for saying those things. Um, <laughs> whereas whereas if I said those things like two years ago, I was like this really weird person. Like, how dare you not take off points? Like your students are not going to learn responsibility um, and things like that. Like the, the conversation about that. Whereas I feel like there's a, a the the space for discussion has opened up and whether or not we take mm-hmm. advantage of that will be interesting. Um, so I, I'm, I'm curious how the conversations, and I also don't feel like everybody has the bandwidth to have that conversation. So I also think there's like a degree of fatigue that is laid in where people are like, yeah, go ahead, just do whatever you want in your classroom. <laughs> and I do wonder, I do wonder if there's going to be a pushback and like, no, no, we have to have all of these rules back. And the reason that nobody's complaining when people are doing these other things is because people's like, people are like, I'm just too tired. I can't deal. <laughs> Cause I know I sometimes feel that way. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. 
All right. Well, uh, I think that's a, a, a pretty interesting thing. So I think we haven't partially answered the question as to uh, have grades changed or, or how have grading policies at least changed, uh, which is good. I almost very rarely feel like we set out on one of these shows and actually actually answer one of my uh, <laughs> nearly rhetorical questions that I set out. All right. Well, let me give credits for this episode. Uh, please subscribe to Life of the School on your podcast player of choice. Um, you can go to patreon.com dot com slash lots and you can support the work we do uh patreons get an early release of episodes and get show notes posted there i also post show notes on life of the school.org music in this and every episode is by jake jenkins and x magicians um, and you can follow me on twitter at mr matthew tweets or at life of the school and i will tag both amy and hannah on twitter when i post this episode out so thanks all for joining me and i will talk to everybody soon